This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Friday. Welcome to the show. It's the end of the week. I mean, a good week. Like the end of this. Can we just count this week as the first official week of January? Because it seems like it's the only good week that we've had this month. It does feel good, like I knew that it would. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I have to give it to her. She hasn't really been that corny this week, so she should get one at least. <laughs> give, me, give me one corny moment, Just okay? one, yeah. Well, we've got a great show coming up for you. I promise it's not a cheesy show. It's filled with great information and the news of the day. Uh, why Trump might be able to get his Facebook back. I mean, we're going to get into the whole process of how that could work. Plus, the ACLU joins us to discuss the latest orders put in place by the Biden administration to protect the LGBTQ plus community. That and more coming up. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Reporters asked President Biden on about Trump's impeachment trial, perhaps not beginning until next month. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi confirmed today that she will deliver the article of impeachment against former President Trump to the Senate on January 25th, triggering a trial before the U.S. Senate in the coming days. So that is um, the 25th, Monday, Tuesday? Yep. Losing check of time. It's one of those days. Yeah. It's Monday. Senate. Okay. <laughs> Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he would turn down Mitch McConnell's request for Democrats to protect the filibuster as part of the 50-50 Senate. We have offered to abide by the same agreement the last time there was a 50-50 Senate. What's fair is fair. That is precedent. We could organize the Senate today if both sides agreed to abide by the same rules as last time. The Republican leader, however, has made an extraneous demand that would place additional constraints on the majority, constraints that have never been in place before. In fact, his proposal would remove a tool that the Republican leader himself used twice in just the last Congress to accelerate the confirmation of Republican nominees. Leader McConnell's proposal is unacceptable. Yeah, I don't know why McConnell thought that would work. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I thought the same exact thing because it's like, why? You know what's really annoying to me, I think, is the overall of my annoyance super quickly. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, just please do share. Um, 
that Republicans expect so much of Democrats when it comes to bipartisanship and unity that he thought that, oh, we Republic, our Democrats need to do this for us and be as humble as possible and bipartisanship and unity after all of the stuff that they put us in for years, for four years. I mean, and longer, but it's just really funny and annoying how they expect that. Uh huh. And then he just like goes to the corner with his tail behind his legs, you know. Exactly. Like, oh, or retaliates sorry. by trying to derail elections. Ooh. All right. You that know, got dark. I'm just saying that's what he did when he did accept yeah, that yeah. Trump, I mean, that Joe Biden won. That's literally what he did. Well, let's move on to this. This is a good thing. The U.S. Senate voted to confirm President Biden's nominee, retired Army General Lloyd Austin, to serve as Secretary of Defense. And he becomes the first black American to hold the position. More historic news this week. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so if you're looking to get your own pair of Bernie Sanders viral mittens, don't get your hopes up. Don't even get your hopes up. It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So, of course, after the Vermont senator went viral over his super cozy and practical inauguration attire and his mittens in particular, it was revealed that Bernie was actually gifted those knit gloves from a Vermont school teacher named Jen Ellis. She teaches second grade. Which is super cute. Oh, I love it. So she has like a side hustle making mittens. Yeah, so I guess she just made Bernie a whole bunch. Like it, there's a picture of them and it literally looks like it was like 46 like wow. pairs of hand mittens that she did. Because So look, these mittens are special. They're made from repurposed wool sweaters and mm. lined with fleece made from recycled plastic bottles. My type of mittens. I know. those. It, I was like, Sheer would love these. Uh, they became so popular that thousands of people started hitting her up to place an order. However, she sadly had to inform fans that she has no more mittens to sell. And more importantly, there is no possible way she would even be able to fill um, the insane demand for those like handcrafted mittens. But I thought this was so interesting. Uh, Yeah, she was not expecting that. I love those surprise moments when someone who has like a small business, someone really famous wears one of their things or uses one of their products publicly and then out of nowhere, they just get thrown into the spotlight. And the kicker is she hasn't even met him yet, which she's wishing she hopes to meet him very, very soon. Um, But yeah, I I love this as well. And my thing is if she needs a side hustle because she ain't making that much money as no teacher, no shade. I just think she needs to figure some way out of doing this because she got like 6,000 orders, Shira, of people wanting to order. You know what? Like, this is something like someone who has a little money, like a Shark Tank type of situation to just approach her and say, listen, I'll be your partner. (laughs) I'll help you make it happen. Let's get those minions out there. I mean, you're the one that knows Mark Cuban. We've had him on the show. And Ellis. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's your team report. I got more coming up next hour, y'all. I need a side hustle. Jen Ellis, I'm coming for you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Coming up on the show, Biden's new strategy for vaccines moving forward. What healthcare professionals think about it all and their reactions next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Dr. Fauci addressed reporters from the White House yesterday for the first time in months and that the nation is still in a very serious situation because of the pandemic. But he said that so far, vaccines appear effective against new variants of the virus circulating in the U.S. And back with us is Dr. Michael Sag, professor of medicine and director at the UAB Center for AIDS Research. He's an infectious diseases expert. Thanks for being here. Good to be back with you guys. How do you feel as a healthcare professional right now? and with everything that has been changing? 
Well, you know, I think a lot of us were curious about how the new administration's ideas would manifest. How would they come to be? And I got to say, the first 36, 48 hours, I'm very impressed that a lot of the things that I was hoping would get done are being launched right now. I've looked through their COVID response package, and it is pretty comprehensive and pretty spectacular. So I feel like if you remember back to the movie Yellow Submarine, it feels like uh, the blue meanies have been run out of town and color has returned to Pepperland. <laughs> I love your right, references. You're like literally like a pop culture historian or some sort. Um, but I, I do wonder though, how long do you think it's going to take to actually get everyone vaccinated? Because I saw a headline that here in Los Angeles that we made like to get everyone just in Los Angeles County vaccinated, it would be like until June 2022. So realistically, how is this process going to work with the distribution process kind of all over the place at this point? Yeah, the details matter. And that's one of the things that I'm excited about. Right now, we're in a log jam. The big problem isn't the desire for people to get the vaccine. There's a huge amount of energy for people wanting this vaccine. The problem is the delivery of the product to the states and then distribution to the sites. And what you see coming out of the current administration's plan so far is the uh, use of FEMA to set up distribution sites, and the use of the Defense Department Act to provide, Defense Production Act, to provide funding to get this stuff out the door, which had not been used before. So I'm hopeful that in the next three to four weeks, we're going to see a dramatically different situation where vaccines are going to become more plentiful and that we're going to be able to see people getting vaccinated almost on demand, so that when we get into March and April, we're going to see a transition from pent up desire to get the vaccine going into May. We're going to switch and we're going to try to be trying to get people who were a little bit hesitant to line up and get their shot. So I think we're in a huge transition and I'm pretty optimistic right now. Yeah, it does seem night and day. There's an actual strategy here that everyone can wrap their heads around. Again, you're hearing from infectious diseases expert, Dr. Michael Sag right now. Uh, but let's talk about these concerning mutations. Uh, what are we seeing right now? Are you concerned? Not too concerned just yet. In fact, I wasn't surprised because this is what all viruses do. If we think back to HIV, we know that it mutates all the time. That's how we get resistance, you know, when the, when the virus becomes resistance to the bugs. And so any virus like this one that mutates very frequently, uh, billions of times a day, it's going to have mutations. And then based on just simple Darwinism, survival of the fittest, those that are more infectious are going to outgrow the others. And in some cases, those that are more um, virulent, meaning cause more disease, also may outgrow. Here's the concern that one of these mutations may have a change in that spike protein. You remember the thing on the outside where the neutralizing antibodies bind. If that happens, that could mean the vaccines will start to lose some of their effectiveness. That's not what we want. It's a little bit like Voldemort. We won't say its name, but the point is that once that happens, the mRNA platform that Pfizer and Moderna are based on can readily be changed to match and get ahead of this thing. So in worst case scenario, we might have to do that. But to be honest, I think if we get these vaccines out the door, we get more people vaccinated, then we'll start seeing less disease in the community, 
less virus around, and it won't have the chance to mutate into vulnerable. Well, we've been hearing about the Johnson & Johnson vaccination, which sounds really promising since it doesn't have to be refrigerated or kept cold for a really long time. Is that something that you're super excited about? I haven't seen the data yet. I've heard, like you, some good positive early reports. We'll see. The data should be coming out in the next week. Uh, then it'll apply for this early use authorization. And I think by mid-February, maybe a little later than the middle of the month, we'll start seeing that vaccine rolling out. And not only is it not requiring refrigerations, it's, it's likely to only be one injection. So you go and you get your shot and one and done. And so, but just having more product available to us, J&J, Moderna, Pfizer, doesn't matter to me too much. Let's just get people vaccinated. Is there anything that you're seeing in your local kind of areas, especially at hospitals, that you feel like could be different, that you guys could change and work on or receive federal government help in that sense to really help the process move forward? You know, actually, I think we're in pretty good shape in terms of getting the vaccine out. It's set up pretty well. We just need product. I will say one positive thing. That is, we're noticing that our hospitalization numbers are going down. And I think that's because most of our employees have been vaccinated. And so they are being protected. And even though they didn't get infected at work, they mostly got it at home. The fact that they're being protected is showing a decrease in the number of cases. And that's good news. All right. It is. That was Dr. Michael Sag, infectious diseases expert. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good to be back with you. Now, coming up on the show, President Biden faces a historic unemployment crisis. So what could be the solution? We're discussing that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. As President Biden has taken office, he faces many challenges, including a huge unemployment rate. Overall, 16 million people were on unemployment as of January 2nd. Joining us right now is Emily Stewart, who's a reporter for Vox. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. We know that people are losing their jobs during the pandemic, but we're seeing another influx recently. Yeah. So basically, like if you think back to the spring, we were seeing these like weekly jobless claims numbers, which basically means people reach out to the unemployment office and are like, hey, I lost my job. Um, And we were seeing like above six million. And then the idea is that like those should start to go down over time. And they have been. But then we're seeing now that they're going back up. So. What we saw at the end of last week, so the week ending January 16th, is that 900,000 people filed new unemployment claims and then 400,000 filed these claims that are basically for freelancers and contractors, gig workers. Um, That's kind of a new program that's in place just for um, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Basically, like we need these numbers to be trending down and instead they are trending up because people are losing their jobs again. Yeah, which isn't shocking, but how much did the procrastination of Congress and the last administration really hurt us moving forward when you think about the big picture and the economy? So if you remember last December, there was like all of this procrastination around um, this like follow-up stimulus package. It was $900 billion. And so a lot of these programs were allowed to expire, programs for freelancers, programs that were adding on extra weeks to people on unemployment. And so former president now, Donald Trump, signed this package that would sort of restart these programs and help people who had lost their jobs again. But he waited until it was so late that a lot of these states basically shut down all of their systems already. And so people are seeing delays again. And so like one of the tricky things about these jobless claims numbers that we saw this week is like 
we're not quite sure how accurate they are because it's not clear if people are even able to file claims at this point or what's going on because basically our unemployment system is run by each state on its own. So each state has its own sort of mechanisms for how to do things. And in a lot of places, they just aren't working well. The systems are out of date. Like it's just kind of a mess. Yeah, that, that explains why you said the jobless claims are very tricky right now. And again, you're hearing from Emily Stewart, who's a reporter for Vox right now. So will Biden's plan, including that $1.9 trillion proposal for a follow-up COVID-19 relief bill, get us out of this? Primarily, it's important to remember that like the key to getting the economy working again is getting the virus under control. And so Biden really is you know, trying to fire on all cylinders in terms of getting people vaccinated to really get the virus under control, because ultimately, like a lot of these job losses are because places are shut down again. Right. Um, and in the meantime, what he's also proposing is kind of beefing up unemployment insurance. So basically what his plan would do would be to add $400 a week onto unemployment benefits through the end of September. Right now, um, people are being paid an extra $300 a week and that's set to expire in mid-March. So his plan would kind of extend that. Now there is an argument that like, we shouldn't pick an arbitrary deadline anymore and that this should be tied to when the unemployment situation is better. And so like it would automatically trigger on and off. And that's something to kind of keep an eye on in the next couple of weeks as they negotiate this bill. Is that um, the automatic stabilizers that you mentioned in your article? Could you kind of dive in a little bit more on that? Because that's something that it seems like a positive sign, right? Yeah. So basically, I think a good way to think about this is like everybody kind of remembers back in March and April and May, like people on unemployment were getting an extra $600 a week in unemployment insurance. And like Congress was like, okay, let's just end this July 31st. But like the pandemic wasn't done July 31st. And so automatic stabilizers would do is that they would say, okay, like, for example, the unemployment rate needs to be 5.5% and the public health emergency needs to be ended for three, six months before these extended unemployment benefits end. So basically you tie like, the social safety net to the actual economic situation and not to a deadline that like you made up in your head. That seems like it so makes sense. Like <laughs> why were these things that weren't implemented? Is it simply because, and I just feel like Trump, as we know, was way in over his head and he didn't have the right people around him or the knowledge, the historical knowledge to understand these levers and things to do. And, and then also he or didn't Republicans care or Republicans just yeah. hate like, poor people. That's yeah, what I think. I mean, <laughs> that but i do think like there is some resistance from like republicans i mean republicans are saying like we don't need to do any help now and it's good that at least like this conversation is happening because as you said like it just seems logical like to not just decide like we've just never known the end date for the pandemic so like let's stop pretending that we do wait so what are economists most worry about moving forward I mean, I think like the big issue now is like, if you think back to 2009, like Congress didn't do enough, right? And then the recovery was slower and it was worse and it took a long time. And so I think you're hearing a growing chorus of economists say like, listen, let's kind of overshoot this a little bit and really try and help people and like fix the economy while we can. And you even hear this in Joe Biden's rhetoric saying like, hey, let's not worry about the deficit for a minute, which is genuinely... Uh, refreshing, I think. 
Yeah. Again, that was Emily Stewart, who's a reporter for Vox. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, coming up, the wait for the vaccine might be longer than you think. Does that mean you should go on a workation at this point? We debate that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Can you imagine this all still going on until at least this summer? Was that your thought or plan out of all of this? Because it seems like, according to Mayor Eric Garcetti, that we were all going to be starting to get the vaccines. The next phase was going to happen by February, according to the website. But that seems to not be happening. With the current pace of coronavirus vaccines, the city of Los Angeles will not have all healthcare workers and seniors vaccinated until the summer. So I guess that leaves us going even later than that, Ryan. Are you are you shocked by this? Because I genuinely am not shocked by this news because everywhere you go, there are people still not following the rules, specifically even here. Um, there's so many people out in the streets still. It doesn't really seem like we're having a clear understanding. And I even think that the NFL just announced that um, they're going to allow like 20-something thousand uh, people even attend the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Yes, including like healthcare worker. It's just like... What is actually going on here at this point? Um, because it just feels like we're never going to get out of this anytime soon. So, yeah, this this news specifically to L.A. is just it's not shocking. Like, I guess if you're outside in a stadium and you're really far from each other, then maybe it makes sense. But it's no. like, here's a gift to you. Something that is not safe. It doesn't make sense because it's a bad example. It's not what we should be doing right now, especially on such a huge platform as a Super Bowl. Um, but I think as we've seen, I know they turned the uh, Dodgers Stadium parking lot into like a place where you could do testings, but now they're doing vaccinations. But even that, there's just, yeah, like Dr. Sag said earlier, we're just waiting for more product, unfortunately. So get comfortable. Yeah, I agree, Ryan. I mean, uh, I guess it's it's not surprising but it sometimes is in the moment. But then I'm like, I thought 2021 was going to be a dud. To be honest, like I thought 2021, I'm like, I don't expect anything to change too much. Yeah, I don't have any confidence, actually. I, I, I'm i happy and excited for what the Biden administration is doing. I think it's good that they're setting a major precedent. But I think to kind of get excited, and especially with we know that herd immunity is not happening anytime soon, this idea of like us getting vaccinated really isn't happening anytime soon. I think it's better for us to just be realistic about the, the moment we're living in. And I think Joe Biden also has to fight misinformation that's still going to be constantly spread. There's going to be tons of conservatives or social conservatives, Republicans, Trumpians who are not going to want to follow the rules. What happens then? You know, so I think we have a, a huge storm that is just sitting there waiting. And um, yeah, like I said, I'm just not as confident as some may be. This is why I'm all about the workation. Right. Why don't here's an idea. What? We have the rest of the year. There are places you could actually go and apply where there are these like homes, these bubbles, where you could end up going to Costa Rica or maybe Hawaii and just move there temporarily and work from there. That sounds irresponsible. No, it's a new bubble just somewhere else. But you're traveling. You have to get there. Traveling right now is irresponsible. There's a few hours. I mean, traveling hasn't been shown to be that bad to cause an issue. It's more the hotels and the partying. Anyway. No, it's uh, all of that. People should not be traveling either. 
a one-off travel to go somewhere so you can for mental health be somewhere nice. I don't think I don't think it's I'm that sorry. Nice. You can catch it. You can catch it there. You can literally catch it in the airport and spread it everywhere else. And then going to these places where there's bubbles, where there's you're probably going to communities where they can't even really like protect themselves. It's just I don't know. We got to think about that. Uh, Hawaii's in the U.S. Maybe that's that's something. Anyway, that that's an idea. Just be safe while doing it. Yeah. Anyway, coming up, we've got what's trending this hour. Senator Chuck Schumer went in hard today on Donald Trump, saying he's responsible for the erection. That clip next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, while Biden is working to reverse the discriminatory laws against the LGBTQ plus community that Trump put in place, the ACLU is saying there's still a lot of work to do and they're joining us next. Plus, more on Facebook's oversight board that will decide whether Trump gets his page back. They actually have an oversight board. Okay. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senator Chuck Schumer went in hard Friday on Donald Trump, saying he's responsible for the erection. No mistake. There will be a trial. And when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection, insurrection against the United States. Schumer was on the Senate floor when he pressed for an impeachment trial. He realized what he had said almost immediately and corrected himself with the word insurrection. Uh, There was no reaction from his colleagues, but Twitter definitely noticed. One person wrote, well, it was an uprising. (laughs) And another person wrote, there are going to be a lot of hard questions asked during the erection hearing. I mean, my thing is, whoever came up with the word insurrection and then also the word erection, they had to think, like, no, that that was going to get mixed up at some point in politics. Like, that's just hilarious. I wonder if it was a man. Oh, it was most definitely a man. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. What? Yes. Um, and we've got some breaking news. Schumer did also announce, and this is serious. Uh, 7 p.m. Monday, the House managers will present articles to the Senate, the articles of impeachment. Tuesday, members will be sworn in for trial. Both House managers will have time for draft legal briefs. Senate will continue to do nomina- nominations and other business during that time. So they're trying to balance everything happening, obviously. Then the big date is the week of February 8th. Arguments for the impeachment will start. Now, moving on hundreds of National Guard members who were deployed to Washington, D.C. following the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol have tested positive for COVID-19 or are now quarantining in nearby hotels after it. This is wild. The news emerged today after earlier reports indicated that many of the members had to sleep in parking garages Mm -hmm. while stationed in the nation's capital and are now being asked to break their mandatory quarantine to go to work. I mean, this is crazy because, I mean, I remember seeing when they first got there, there was pictures of them sleeping in the hallways of the Capitol. And so just knowing that they don't have anywhere to sleep, they're not getting enough rest, and then they're getting COVID, what is going on here? We're not even taking care of the people who are protecting yeah. us, right? It's it's not totally. good. Yes, this is sad. But also I feel, and maybe this is just a generalization, I feel like I saw a lot of pictures and it didn't seem like when they were just hanging out in these places, unfortunately, they were wearing the mask. They were wearing the mask like when it was officially, when they're officially working. Oh, right. Yeah, for sure. But then when they're in their off time, you were seeing a lot of them, like those pictures that are also not good because uh, they weren't being treated properly, but they're not wearing masks. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a reason why they caught it. 
Yes. Now, Greta Thunberg was on MSNBC and urged the public to, quote, inform yourself and spread awareness about climate change. Is she like 25 yet? How old is she? Six, uh, I don't know. I feel like she she's is. literally like like 84 at this point. <laughs> Still like fighting for justice. Asshole. She's 18 years old. Okay, actually. so she's an adult. I, I, great. Can we please stop talking to her like she's a child? Like talking about her. 4'11". Oh, wow. Small. She's small. Wow. Yeah. She also said that time will tell if the Biden administration will fulfill their promises. And that does it for What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? How people give uh, Biden a break. Like, he literally just got in there. He's doing so much already. But anyway, um, I think we finally got confirmation about JoJo Siwa being, like, queer. It's And it's most definitely clear this time. It's time for your tea report, those pop culture stories, trending right now. After all of that, you know, specula- uh, speculation we talked about on yesterday's show with JoJo Lip singing uh, the Born This Way lyrics, and dancing with some known queer TikTok influencers. Uh, JoJo debuted a new shirt reading Best Gay Cousin Ever on her Instagram stories today, sharing that the apparel was a gift from a family member. And so... uh, I guess that's her big reveal. I don't know because she still hasn't really like in concrete said anything and neither has her reps. But all of these, uh, you know, confirmations from either close friends of hers and even her brother commented Mm -hmm. on a video because guess what? We were right. There is a new TikTok house called Pride House LA, which by the way, happens to be very white and very gay. So um, tune in for that. I didn't see one queer creator in this day and house of theirs. Um, you got to consult, Ryan. Where's your consulting gig? Um, I don't know. It's, it's literally starting to look like blonde hair, blue eyes. Like, it feels very weird, to be quite honest. Um, but that's your tea report. And uh, also, welcome to the family, JoJo. Welcome to the family. Yeah, we got to have her on the show. Now, coming up on this show, Biden continues to sign orders for LGBTQ plus protections, but is it enough? The ACLU joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. On his first day in office, President Biden issued a historic executive order, making it clear that gay and transgender people are protected against discrimination in schools, healthcare, the workplace, and other realms of American life. This is amazing considering what we've all been through the past four years, the questions, the trauma. Back with us is Aditi Fruitwala, an LGBTQ uh, gender and reproductive justice attorney for ACLU SoCal. Thanks for being here. Of course. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Well, what a beautiful week. Um, Just in his final days, Trump had pushed for many of these policies not to include protecting those in the LGBTQ plus community. Why are these moves by the Biden administration in these first days so critical? Yeah, so they're they're critical kind of exactly from what you said, Shira, that, um, you know, Trump, the Trump administration really prioritized attacking trans folks and specifically trans youth um, in schools and healthcare and all of these different areas. And the Biden administration on its first day is signaling that it is a new administration and it will not be doing that. In fact, it will be doing the exact opposite. Um, and, you know, something that is important about these executive orders is that it's Biden didn't create new law. He just said that we're going to start enforcing the laws that we already have, which the Trump administration simply wasn't doing. Yeah, I think my big worry is, though, is the Supreme Court, right? If cases are taken and that is a majority like Republican Supreme Court, should we still be worried a little bit? 
Um, yes, we still should be worried a little bit. We still kind of need to come out swinging with everything that we have, but we are in a better position in a lot of ways than we were before. You know, one thing that happened last year that was huge, I mean, very monumental for our rights in this space is that the case Bostock v. Clayton came down, which said that Title VII, uh, which is the law that prohibits discrimination on various bases, including sex, in employment, it said that that federal statute also bans discrimination of LGBTQ people. Now, if, it, if Title VII bans discrimination on the basis of being LGBTQ, there is no good reason why all of our other federal statutes that ban sex discrimination wouldn't do the exact same thing. And so, you know, one of the things that we're seeing come up a lot right now is, um, you know, in schools, schools trying to ban uh, trans folks from playing, from participating in school sports. Mm -hmm. um, but that is against Title IX because we already know that Title VII says no discrimination against LGBTQ people. There's no reason why Title IX wouldn't say the same thing. And so even though we have, you know, a different makeup of the Supreme Court, we are in kind of a stronger legal position now than we were before. Again, we're hearing from Justice Attorney for ACLU SoCal, Aditi Fruitwala. How does this move, as the right says, threatens women? This argument that they use, just it's so ridiculous. Uh, what are we supposed to say to those who use this? It's such a completely baffling argument to me that it's really even hard for me to you know, think about how to respond. I mean, my initial response is just I can't even fathom how it does threaten women. You know, someone else's Someone, I mean, trans women are women, first of all, but even if we're talking about cis women here, someone else's rights and access doesn't negatively impact cis women. My rights aren't diminished as a cis woman because a trans woman has more rights. So, you know, I mean, that that is sort of my, my first response. But also, I, I don't think that we um, are paying enough attention to how much this would actually harm all women, including cis women. Um, you know, this doing things like allowing um, schools to ban trans girls from participating in girls sports just permits schools and governments to police bodies. Um, and that's going to harm all women. You know, already we know that that happens um, with women's sports. It happens disproportionately against women of color, especially black women. Um, and, you know, we have for, you know, since the beginning of sports been talking about how certain women are manly and certain women have broad shoulders and disproportionate advantage. And that rhetoric um, and that harm is just going to get so much worse if we actually license the government to start policing girls' bodies like this. Um, yes. I also just want to point out that really the, the kind of important point here is that any fake illusory harm to cis girls is absolutely nothing compared to the harm to trans girls of not allowing them to play. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's I quite simple. Chills. People are dying. Trans folks are dying across the country, right? And you, you brought up sports. And I wonder, will these new executive orders make it a lot easier or more difficult to make sure that more states jump on board to facilitate, you know, a full inclusion of trans students when it comes to sports? What the executive order does says that where the Trump administration was not um, investigating and prosecuting any of the, their Title IX complaints. This executive order says we're not. We are going to be investigating these complaints, and you know the harm of um, violating Title IX means losing your federal education funding, which is massive. And so, you know, the most recent place that we saw this is Montana. Montana passed. Um, a ban of trans folks participating in schools, and now it's on the House floor. Um, it passed out of the, the House Judiciary Committee, and now it's on the House floor. And if this passes in Montana, then the Biden administration can actually strip Montana of its 
Title IX funding. And one estimate that I heard is that would amount to about $480 million from, you know, last fiscal year, we can anticipate it'll be about the same for this fiscal year. So, you know, the harm to all students is incredibly great. Um, if suddenly the entire state is stripped of its federal education budget because yeah. it is insisting on discriminating against trans folks. And just finally, as we wrap things up, what do you think is the next focus right now? What are you looking at? So we are looking at the sports issue. We're looking at healthcare. That seems to be popping up in a lot of different places. Um, there are about a dozen state legislators that have passed kind of um, restrictions on healthcare for trans folks, especially trans minors. Um, and we're looking, we're continuing to look at access uh, for trans and non-binary folks for restrooms, gyms, um, and just all public spaces like emergency shelters. Okay, that was Aditi Fruitwala from ACLU SoCal. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Now coming up on the show, how Trump could theoretically get his Facebook back. For real. We're talking about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Now that Trump is out of office, could he potentially jump back on social media after being kicked off every major platform? It's actually something we've talked about before here. And Rebecca Heilwell from Recode at Vox is now explaining how he could theoretically get his Facebook back. She joins us now. Thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me. So it seems like Facebook is calling on their Facebook oversight board to look at this decision uh, that they made to suspend Trump. First off, what is this Facebook oversight board? Who are they? So the oversight board is this community of experts and sort of policy analysts who focus on issues of speech, content moderation, and the internet. And basically, Facebook brought them together uh, launched this uh, sort of Supreme Court-like organization that basically exists to review Facebook's decisions about what it does and does not allow on its site. Essentially, Facebook saying, we are not in a place where we can make these decisions on our own, so we're going to basically let someone else do it. But that just makes no sense to me, I guess. Like, why are we seeing Facebook kind of second-guess their decision at this point? So Facebook for a really long time has tried to have this aura of neutrality and basically say, we don't want to be the arbiters of speech and the arbiters of who gets to say what online. Uh, but, you know, every decision Facebook makes about content, there's uh, backlash to it and criticism of it in terms of what they leave up and what they take down. Um, so now basically to squiggle out of all of those criticisms, they've said, well, we're just going to leave it up to some experts. Whatever they say will, will be the final decision. And that way, essentially now people can't really be mad at Facebook anymore because they'll be mad at the oversight board. Uh, what's their process to figuring this out? Like, what are they going to do exactly? So. This will be the first major case they take on. So we're going to kind of see how this works in real time. But essentially, the process seems to be somewhat like a court. So, you know, Trump technically has the opportunity to make arguments on his own behalf for why he should get his Facebook back, why uh, Facebook was wrong to take his account, stop him from being able to post on his account. Other experts will be able to weigh in on both sides and eventually these experts uh, will come to a final decision. And then within a week of them making a decision, Facebook will have to implement it. Okay. Again, you're hearing from Rebecca Howell, who's a reporter for Recode at Fox. So let's say Trump reruns in 2024 and he goes based off of his same rhetoric and they bring him back on before then, do they just resuspend him indefinitely again? Like what, how does, what's the new rules at that point? 
That's a great question. It's important to note that they're supposed to give a final decision within 90 days. So Mm -hmm. if they did decide that Trump should go back on Facebook, and that would, you know, we don't know what the odds are they could come to that. It's very likely they'll say Facebook was right and Facebook should keep Trump off um, off the platform. But say he does come back on, that would be for almost the entirety of Joe Biden's presidency and certainly be enough time for him to run, you know, use that in part of his campaign. Um, yeah, so we'll have to see. Like one of the purposes of the court is to establish a precedent and create better rules for Facebook in terms of world leaders. But yeah, who's to say what if Trump just does the exact same stuff again? It could totally happen. And that'll be, you know, worth finding out. But it seems like according to your article, there's this real Facebook oversight board of experts and journalists. They are criticizing this process. Could they take this over? Or do you think this is going to um, leave Facebook in a place where uh, they're getting backlash for this whole thing? I would say that Facebook, no matter what happens, Facebook will get backlash and whatever decision the oversight board makes will get backlash. Um, The real Facebook oversight board is really interesting because they're a group of sort of activists and experts who have said that this is basically another way for Facebook to skirt out of its responsibilities. And this entire thing is just like a kind of another piece of evidence that Facebook can't moderate its platform effectively. Mm -hmm. The fact that Facebook is doubting its own decision shows that this, this system isn't working. So I think, you know, whatever happens, there's going to be backlash as we saw Mm -hmm. conservatives are going to be mad if he doesn't get his account back because they're going to say it's free speech and you know the other way around a lot of people are going to say this this man incited violence people died um and he was continued to be allowed on this platform he cannot be allowed again it's too dangerous so you know whatever happens someone's gonna say something i mean the real question here is are we going to see other platforms form independent oversight boards like this because if facebook if it works for facebook what makes twitter or an amazon or an apple be able to do the same thing yeah i think it's an excellent question i not aware of sort of this a similar thing happening for another company yet but this is you know an experiment in whether a company can self-regulate its own moderation what might happen is depending on how facebook responds we might see some action from the actual government part of the reason facebook created this uh oversight board is because they're saying we don't have any laws that actually tell us what to do. So we're kind of having to do it ourselves. Um, it, yeah. Like if they do bring Trump back on, do you think other platforms will bring him back on as well? It's possible. It's important to note that Twitter has permanently suspended Trump. So it would be kind of odd to see Trump come back on. But, you know, we've seen again and again, that these companies copy each other and take signals from each other. When Trump was first getting suspended, it took Twitter taking action. And, and that got a little more stringent than Facebook did. And they kind of back bounce off of each other. So I wouldn't be surprising to me if that something like that happened. All right. Well, that was Rebecca Howell, reporter for Recode at Vox. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Now coming up, how much should you tip for food during the COVID-19 pandemic? We debate that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. So there's this audio clip being shared. It's actually a video captured on one of those ring cameras right in front of someone's house. A delivery driver on Long Island wasn't happy with her $8 tip. So this is what went down. She basically took the food back. I don't think you realize how far it is. So I think you just... the pickup if you think it's that far. I don't want to know how far, so I think you need to adjust your tip. To make it right. 
How much is the tip? You gave an $8 tip. What the hell are you looking for? I gave an $8 tip. Okay, I'm going to bring the phone back. I'm going to bring the food back. Okay. Okay. So, like, I mean, I've never seen this. I know some crazy stuff happens with these delivery drivers. But is this normal? Like, is an $8 tip really that small? She was really complaining about in this video, as we heard, the the time that she had to drive. It was a 40-minute drive, allegedly. Um, there's people on Twitter that saw this video where it was going viral, and they were commenting, saying they live in this area, or they know exactly the area she's talking about, and it takes 10 to 15 minutes top. So there's all of these different perspectives happening, but... When you're working in the food service industry as either a driver or a server, sometimes you just get screwed when people don't tip you, right? Right? And it's kind of just a part of the process. I have had years of experience as working as a server, and mm -hmm. I have given A1 customer service, and sometimes that paid off. But other times... It didn't, but that don't mean I'm going to go out and, you know, take somebody's food or like treat them ugly because they didn't tip me right. No, we just do what everybody else does and talk major crap about them in the back of the house uh, or, you know, are in the back of the restaurant. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, this is what you sign up for, right? Yeah. As you mentioned, you're going to have some people that give you crazy tips, right? And then you're going to have some people that give you smaller tips and it, it kind of all evens out. But we all know this delivery driver business, these Uber Eats, Postmates, et cetera, like it's not that good of a business, unfortunately, right? Like they, the companies themselves are the ones who cheat you out of getting the money. Yeah. I don't even think it's as much of the people that are ordering uh, versus the actual companies that aren't notifying you of where you're going and how long it's going to take. And then you kind of end up being stuck in a crappy place and then blaming it on the person that ordered. is just not even professional. Yeah, I mean, I've seen cases when it comes to like DoorDash or Postmates and all these delivery services where some drivers are awful, where they'll either eat some of your food or drink some of your drink or take a picture of them leaving the food and then stealing your food. But, you know, it's 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 just as awful when you as a consumer is also taking risk as like in people handling your food, especially in the middle of a pandemic. And I just can't believe that this driver who was at someone's house dropping off their food, by the way, and wanted to talk to the like the owners in of person. the food in person. I'm like, first of all, girl, you don't know if this person is crazy or not. You could have lost your life. They could have came out there and like bought out a gun and shot you in your back type of thing. Like, you know, I think about stuff like that. I watch the television. <laughs> Anything is possible. And so all this over food and an $8 tip, you really might want to reevaluate some things because honestly, you could have just moved on and your next person that you would have worked with or gotten their food for, maybe they would have you even better just it's, get yeah, over it's it. like the juju it's like you're kind of just c continuing on with your life and uh trying to you know do do the right thing right i don't know if she did the right thing here uh, and can't she get fired for something like this by the way i hope she does and in all honesty if she would have rolled up over here at 304 honey we may have had some words and some exchanges because i would have okay. gotten my food that's all i'm well, saying well we know there's a lot of drivers who listen to this show so i want to hear from you have you dealt with this? Is this like really that small of a tip, I guess, for a 40 minute drive, even though it was probably 20 minutes about with traffic? You know mm -hmm, the drill. Mm -hmm. Let us know on social media at LGT show. would love to hear from you. Now, coming up, a trans New York City Council candidate could make history in the Bronx. More details on that next on What's Trending This Hour.
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. On the show, if we could figure out a COVID-19 vaccine so quickly, why hasn't there been one for HIV yet? Plus, as unemployment reaches an all-time high, the new strategy that could actually help with pandemic relief and not end until there's a number change there. You'll get it when you listen to this segment in this uh, hour. Trust me, it's uh, pretty amazing. And we're surprised that uh, Trump didn't put this in place because it seems like that could work. Um, I'm not surprised that Trump didn't do anything because he has no brain. <laughs> there you go. And let's get into so much trending this hour. In a press conference, uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced that early evidence suggests that the UK variant of COVID-19 may be associated with a higher degree of mortality. With another 40,261 positive cases since yesterday, we have 38,562 COVID patients now in hospital. That's 78% higher than the first peak in, uh, in April. So he said that and also clarified that the vaccines being used in the UK remain effective both against the old variant and this new one. So I guess that's good. By the way, Boris Johnson needs to get a hairstylist. That's all I'll say about that. And I don't typically talk about these things. I definitely don't don't bring it up. No, he's like too busy destroying the UK. <laughs> yeah. Alyssa Crespo could become the first transgender lawmaker in New York City. She is also the first LGBTQ woman of color to run for office in the Bronx, running in a special election on March 23rd. She also told the LGBTQ nation, I think the question is what it would mean to the trans women of color and the queer people of color in the city who have never seen themselves reflected in their elected officials. I try to focus on the people of my district and the issues they go through every single day. This is kind of like an early Yaz queen, by the way. Uh, Crespo is running in Bronx District 15, which is considered one of the poorest in the nation. And she understands what many of the residents face, she added. And she herself was raised by a single mom who relied on food stamps, Medicaid, and Section 8 to support her family. So Alyssa Crespo, what an amazing person. I'm so excited for her. Congrats uh, for that. Hopefully she'll make it. And finally, the Mega Millions jackpot has increased to $1 billion for tonight's drawing. $1 billion. I am so nervous. Like, that, that number is so big. It makes me so nervous to even think about. I mean, uh, if a lucky player wins, this will mark the second largest jackpot in Mega Millions history and the third largest in U.S. lottery history. And, uh, by the way, buy your ticket before 7.30 p.m. So are if you're you, interested. Are you buying tickets? What's going on? I think I'm well, going to go. Uh, you know, we were covering this on the show, but then my dad texted me. He's in Canada. But I think the Mega Millions happens in Canada, too. It's not, or no, it's just the U.S. Okay. No. So <laughs> That's a different one. I got yes. it. Sorry. Yes. Wait. So he wants me to buy a bunch of tickets. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if, if, I, if it wins, if they win, that I'm going to split it with him. So it sounds That's basically the plan. It, it sounds a little illegal. Like he wants no, it's to not. win. That's not illegal. <laughs> Y'all are creating such a Ponzi scheme. No, he, he basically told me. He basically said, like, is giving me the money. He's like, spend this money. I'm going to give you the money to spend. And if we win, you go do it. Wait. So we're working as a team. But if you would win, what would you do? Like if so, if you won, let's just say you won, would you like text me and tell me you won, or would you like would I not hear from you the next day? I would just ghost everyone. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, I think I would tell you. I'd be like, 
holy but then also i'd be like ryan don't tell people well i right? wouldn't tell anyone i wouldn't tell anyone because honestly you you're know. better than me i wouldn't have told you i would have literally not shown up to work the next day I, and i would have been off the but, grid but ryan that goes against our pact here because you live alone because mm. you always said if well, i don't hear from you for 24 hours to get worried i mean i honestly at that point i want people to know i'm dead I want everyone to know I'm dead because I've made so much money. Don't even, don't come knocking at my door at 304. I, I know uh, we need to get into the T report, but, and this is always asked to everyone, like, what would you do with, what would be the first thing you do with money like that? Like I said, I'm going to buy a ticket. This is the one time I'm going to permit traveling during a pandemic. Oh. And I'm going to the nearest island I can find, or not <laughs> the furthest island I can find. And that's where I will reside, for sure. Richard Branson is like, where did this guy come from? Yeah. You like show up on Necker Island. I'm your neighbor. <laughs> With a lot of cash. Well, let's All talk right. actually about celebrities in the T yeah. report. Um, because the latest, speaking of COVID, the latest celeb to get COVID at this point, girl, it's so irresponsible. It's time for your T report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Dave Chappelle has tested positive co for coronavirus during his multi night stand up residency in Austin, Texas. Are you kidding me? Um, this happened just one day after he was photographed with Grimes, Elon Musk, and Joe Rogan. I hate this. I hate this so much. <laughs> oh, MG, so someone, one of them had it. Well, Grimes had it because many Twitter users have been speculating about how Chappelle could have caught the virus with many acknowledging the fact that Grimes confirmed that she too had been uh, tested positive under two weeks ago and had been experiencing a fever. Like, oh, literally. he's going to drag them. What I hope that we get out of this, at least, is some entertainment with Dave Chappelle doing some sort of stand-up routine, <laughs> how he got it from Elon Musk and crime. I bet you that'll stop him from hanging out with white folks again. Um, but he did, uh, Representative confirmed, he is experiencing no symptoms. So it's all good in the neighborhood, I guess. But it's, it's just cool. so irresponsible because he's been performing socially distant shows in Ohio since June before his winter stint on stage in Texas. So he has not cared about this thing and who is going to a stand-up during the pandemic it's ridiculous well to be fair he lives in a small town he's doing it outside and people need some humor during this time no <laughs> it's so irresponsible oh my god but we gotta wrap up we got more show coming that's your tea report check it out at lgt show everywhere and we are channel q.com let's go there with shira and ryan the new channel q we're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. This is a special one this Friday. Eric Cavanaugh is proving you can dance at every size and is breaking the mold of what is considered the typical dancer body. His videos are going viral on Instagram. And guess what? We're not just talking about it today. The dancer and choreographer joins us right now. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, so exciting. We love your videos. Uh, how long have you been dancing? Uh, I've been dancing for a while, but I started taking it seriously about 11 years ago when I was 16. I went to a high school for creative performing arts, started off as a musical theater baby, but then end of sophomore year, I was like, I want to be a dancer. So I switched to the dance department 
and the rest is history. So what was that transition like, right? Like, because obviously if you're a theater, you know, queen, as I would call, um, (laughs) because I am, you know, it would be like you already have the confidence, right? But like, you know, actually going into the classical art of dancing, did you feel any nervousness of that? The the process, was that like a little like nerve wracking? Absolutely. Um, Musical theater, dancing, and what we were doing was totally different than that of the styles that we were taking in the dance department, because it was the classic styles of ballet, modern jazz. Whereas musical theater, you're just doing like little lindies and like, you know, kicking your leg every which way so often, versus the, you know, traditional styles of like figuring out your plie, getting your core. So it was a kind of a shock to me at first. Well, Eric, let's talk about your dance videos on Instagram. Like, why did you decide to post all of this on social media? I was very late to the social media game with Instagram. I think I made it in 2015, 2016. Uh, But then people convinced me and then AGT, America's Got Talent, reached out to me and was like, hey, we want you to audition. And I was like, okay. So I sent them all the stuff. And then I posted one of my rehearsal videos. And then that went viral about four years ago with like New York Post, People Mag, all that stuff. And then I started growing a platform and I had maybe six to 10,000 followers. And I was like, wow, like people are really reaching out to me saying that I inspire them and I give them hope and I give them the confidence to take a dance class. And I was like, Let me build this platform then. Let me be the person that I didn't have because I did have people in my life that told me I can't dance, I shouldn't dance. I'll never have a successful career because of my body. So I decided to take this opportunity to show all those people wrong and to show people who needed someone that I was missing in my life as an inspiration to see as I can make this career, I can make any career I want, regardless of what a stereotype has been telling people for years. I mean, well, you most definitely inspired me. I mean, watching your videos, I get chills. And I think I would, I want to know what's next for you. Like, what do you want to accomplish, you know, next? Because you're already doing so many incredible things. I'd love to get into the television and movie world and expand my platform further and further and further, just because I want to continue to show people how successful and far you can come, you know, for the years, it's never been something that seemed attainable for people of size or mm-hmm. people that fit outside, like, you know, the the straight, white, cis normalcy that's always been dominating. And I want to show that, you know, plus size people can be the romantic lover, they can be the hero, they can be the star, they can be whoever they are, because we are human just as everyone else is. So I'd also like to be behind the scenes and creating work that respects dancers and gives them a platform to be seen and be more than just the background dancer or just an extra. They are the dancers. They are what brings the life to the entertainment. Yeah, well, Eric Cavanaugh, you get our yes queen of the day. Yes. And that does it for our show today. But we'll be back on Monday, same time, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, live right here on Channel Q. Coming up on Monday, Biden wants to remove this controversial word from U.S. laws. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, our post office is going to be turned into banks. That and more on the show Monday. If you missed this interview, any of our shows, you want to share this interview with your friends, just go check out our podcast on the radio.com app. Search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye, y'all.